Hi, I'm Chinny. And I'm Astrid, and welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that widens access to African history. We're also the co-authors of a book by the same name. You can find out more information about us on itsacontinent.com. We're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country by appreciating the identity of each nation. Through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. This is a bonus episode, which we did live. This was part of our um, first ever live kind of show that we did at Cambridge University. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for having us. We Thank loved you, it. Thank you, Stuti. And um, we just wanted to share it with you guys because we both feel like, actually, look, listen to me now speaking for the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, we both feel. Well, I think it's a very important conversation to have. Um, so we will be discussing the topic of reparations. And it feels like it's been really cropping up over the last, Ooh. yeah, just a couple of years. So we just wanted to share, discuss all of that stuff. African Pride, do you want to kick us off before we get going? So this week's special African Pride is obviously linked with football because it's me. And it's Salima Mukasanga, the first African female referee to officiate in a FIFA World Cup. So shout out Salima. Congratulations, Salima. Congratulations. I saw her out there. She, she was, was really doing her thing. We love she it. She really was. So Salima was the fourth official during the France versus Australia match. And before Qatar 2022, she'd made history after being named the official for the Africa Cup of Nations 2022, so AFCON. So the journey to becoming a top referee hasn't been a smooth ride, and she did have to face rejection in the early days. So Mikansanga was initially rejected by the Rwandan FA on account of her age, as she approached them about joining a referee's course straight out of secondary school. Following this rejection, she first taught herself the basics of officiating, the laws of the game, and was eventually given the opportunity of studying with other new referees. So from rejection to a whole World Cup and an African woman. Imagine the perseverance is like Mm -hmm. on another level because from secondary school, that's just wild to just be like, that's what I want to do and still keep pushing so yeah congratulations I didn't I don't know if I watched the France versus Australia I might just watch it just to watch you <laughs> just watch it just so we can see just what she yeah. So can see. yeah yeah no we love to see it honestly it's just amazing this World Cup has probably for me been the most surprising in terms of like games and just there was a lot of shocks in this one. Oh yeah no a lot of shocks is unfortunate because now we're seeing the regular pattern happen when everyone exits the final 16. But yeah, you know, we saw those wins. So we saw Saudi. Yeah. They... <laughs> the great footballing nation of Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what that's how they'll be known by now moving forward. Yeah. That's what that's what people are saying on the streets. <laughs> yeah, so much sorry that they had a holiday. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah, imagine. Gosh, we needed to get a holiday for the last thing. We did not get anything. We didn't, no, we didn't get anything. Because no. <laughs> it was the women's game. Mm-hmm. I digress. Yeah. As we said before, this episode is around reparations and it's called Reparations to Africa. And we're looking at action, not words. So in 1999, how much did the African World Reparations and Repatriation Truth Commission say that the West should pay to the African continent? A round ballpark figure. I was just taken aback, but it's the fact it's called African World Reparations and Re- Repatriation Truth Commission. I'm like, 
Okay, wow, that is a. They look. You, you need to come it's through a... with a heavy title. Yeah, you got demand to reparations. Be right. It's you just can't even put a number to it, especially because I'd honestly I couldn't even begin to guess. I feel That's like anything I would say is a bit. It's just everything too you low say will be too small. It just right? feels yeah and too insignificant. Yeah. Well, they did conclude that the root causes of Africa's problems today are the enslavement and colonization of African people over a four hundred year period. And that $777 trillion should be paid with annual interest. So that $777 trillion in 1999, probably more now. Way that's more. That's the interest, probably way more pounds more than it used to be as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so a really large figure. Um, and I like the fact that they say the root causes, because I do know, obviously, through the episodes mm. we cover, there are also you know inept leaders and yeah, yeah inept leaders to say the least but actually to understand that the root cause and that very foundation was enslavement and colonization that has then just sort of built up and created these types of leaders because as we also recognize in this podcast there are some brilliant there were some brilliant and fantastic mm-hmm. leaders but you know the usual happened they got killed off and exactly. so to see that they really clarify that the root causes were those two points is really important, I feel. And to say over a 400-year period, like, that's wild. That's, yeah, that's not really quantifiable. Like, how many generations is that? Countless. Yeah. And so why did we discuss... And so why did we decide to discuss reparations? So I think I said this earlier, over the last few years or so, And especially this year, I felt we've seen ever-growing calls for reparations to Africa and the Caribbean. And these growing calls for reparations have come at a time where we've seen, you know, the head of state be removed in Barbados, disdain with a royal family visits to the Caribbean, and the returning of some looted items like the Benin bronzes. There is very much a push towards that direction. We've recently seen um, with COP27 this is the first time that they've discussed kind of including um, a loss and damages fund mm. in order to support countries, specifically countries in um, places like Africa, as a result of the consequences of much more richer countries, their contribution to the rising temperature. Because uh, we covered this in the episode when we discussed the environment in terms of the fact that Western countries are the larger and kind of bigger polluters. And as a result of that, it does negatively, the impact on mm. countries and African nations is a lot, um, is, is much worse. So you see things like famine increasing even more so as a result. Definitely in East Africa. And then also within the Nigeria, there were really bad floods as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the floods, um, yeah, Lots of displacements of people. And even as we go outside of Africa, we saw the Pakistan uh, floods, which looked really, really scary. Mm-hmm. But let's see if any of that comes about. So what are reparations? Well, we really like this interpretation of reparations from the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. Measures to redress violations of human rights by providing a range of material and symbolic benefits to victims or their families, as well as affected communities. So reparations can actually take varying forms. It's not just uh, material, which is what I would normally think of whenever we talk about reparations. Yeah. 
but we have uh, moral symbolic. So for example, symbolic apologies and actions to help those who are victims of wrongdoing. Financial materials. So essentially this is compensation for economic damage, loss of earnings, loss of property, loss of economic opportunities and moral damages. But then it does also raise the question of who would be paid, how much would they receive and where would this money come from? And I think that's one of the biggest areas of kind of consideration and also like challenges when it comes to financial reparations is very much around how do you get that sort of set up yeah done I think but also we've seen around just providing returning items even that has been challenging so yeah Mm. another aspect could be access to the truth about past events which we really like because I don't think we've really seen this before so an example of this is a national trust making an effort to show the history behind the institution. But how do you go about this without someone just shutting you up and calling you woke or starting the next culture war, which then doesn't really lead to any substantial change? Mm -hmm. There's also rehabilitation, which should include medical and psychological care, legal and social services, and restitution, which is restoring the victim to their original situation before the violation occurred, which that is probably one of the toughest ones to to do yeah to be honest yeah that's probably yeah Yeah, I think there's I think they're a bit far gone at this point yeah how are you getting restoring to the original situation is really yeah following world war ii reparations have been paid for events that date back more than half a century with britain even compensating those who owned enslaved africans only just paying back the loan in 2015 through the taxpayers. Yeah, first step of job. The actual audacity. Yeah. We were still, in 2015, we were paying. I didn't see it on my payslip, mind. Yeah. Do you know what? That is actually a good point. When they are <laughs> taking these, taking our taxes and stuff, I want to see exactly line by line that bit <laughs> where you say, this, this bit of money we've taken from you is actually going to those who had enslaved Africans. Can that bit there to pay them back because that's we took actually, out a loan. Yeah, that's wild. Decades ago. That is just because I think centuries ago, even. Centuries, yeah, centuries ago. And I think it's seeing that you're like, wow, even saying that. And I think this is what frustrates me is points like this. And I think they tweeted this, didn't they? Like, they, the, yeah, um, they had to pull it down. Yeah, they put, ended up putting it down. But how can you have the audacity to tweet this without actually thinking, wow? We were yeah. so, in 2015, that's what we had. And I think they even had the audacity to be like, your money helped us end slavery. Yeah. It was a no for me, dog. No. At the same time, we can't ignore the process of possessing and exploiting resources of colonised countries. And this is kind of an element that we'll focus on. So during the process of colonisation, numerous human rights abuses took place, including genocide, torture, and racial discrimination. But... Why does the concept of reparations to Africa appear to be easier said than done? Because, hey, it looks like we're all good with paying back money to people who enslaved Africans. Yeah. So why can't we? This isn't me sharing my viewpoint. I'm just saying, yeah, (laughs) balance people. So some of the events which African nations are demanding reparations for include Namibia and what is known as the African Holocaust. We actually covered this topic way back when. Oh my gosh. Well, we were baby season, podcasters. Season three, episode one. Go back if how, you dare. How are we kicking off season three with African Holocaust? Wow. What a way to start a season. 
imagine um so the Herero people so this is a bit of a summary into what happened so the Herero people of Namibia suffered severe human rights violations at the hands of German colonizers and on October 2nd 1904 General Lothar von Trotha issued the extermination order to wipe out the Herero tribe in what was then German Southwest Africa. German soldiers took this in their stride, with tens of thousands of Herero and Nama people murdered and placed in concentration camps. This was a dangerous foreshadowing of what was to come. The legacy of the genocide continues to face academic neglect. Today, German descendants make up 1% of the Namibian population, but own two-thirds of commercial farms in Namibia. The Herero people did attempt to sue corporations, including Deutsche Bank in the US federal court, for subjecting them to forced labour. Unfortunately, filing errors and interpretive irregularities by the federal district courts have resulted in the dismissal of these claims. Filing errors really frustrates her, like how... Administrative error. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's basically, we've had to hide this because else we're going to have to pay. We've actually just hidden the information and there's no Mm -hmm. GDPR, so... Yeah. In 2004, the German government offered an apology on the 100th anniversary of the major battle between the Herero people and Germany. 100th anniversary. And it was just an apology, that's all. And in a similar attitude to Britain, its coloniser cousin... Germany's apology was tentative and limited in scope because they didn't want to open a Pandora's box of possible legal consequences. So Mm-mm. you offer an apology, but you don't say... Not to, quite. Not quite, because else you open yourself up to a lot of legal issues. We can't fully... We can't be dealing with that. And it's so frustrating because you think, everybody knows this though, you know? Everybody <laughs> is aware of what happened, but for some reason we're just playing this weird dance that... No, we can't fully apologise. Because we haven't fully apologised, it didn't actually happen, technically. And that's the access to the truth piece, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, definitely, definitely. And I think it's just, I can't imagine how that must feel for community, like the Herero people, whereby, you know, you've experienced and your family generations have experienced such pain under German colonial rule. And to have that so, just not even acknowledged, but also that sense of like, just an apology that is open and fully takes accountability. Honestly, it's quite heartbreaking. And actually, mm. sorry, I'm getting... <laughs> no, 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 completely, yeah. completely agree. Um, it's not only, it's, it's a form of gaslighting, if I'm honest, isn't it? Oh, yeah. No, that's what it is, actually. Best, best way to put it. It is. It really is. This is in huge contrast to Germany continuing to pay reparations to some Holocaust survivors to this day. And it's not the only country that has paid reparations, be it through an official apology or financial, but for some reason, reparations for African nations remain divisive. And there's no reason why they should be divisive. That's that's the thing that just gets Mm. me. And for me, it's understanding, like, why why is it so divisive? Like, what is it about... Is it because it is so, you know, you, we are talking about over 400 years worth of reparations and trying to just comprehend how do we make that a reality yeah. and something that is, because even when you ask me that question about how much money it would be, like I, for me, 
that's difficult to answer. Where do you even start? Where do you even start and how do you do it? And also for a lot of people, money isn't going to fix a lot of the damage caused. I know we've said this before around knowing our um, family history and timelines and the fact that it just sort of stops at a certain point Mm. that someone can't get those documents back or recreate those. That is just lost. You know, and so I just feel like there's an element of that psychological piece and that rehabilitation piece, which I just don't know how that is possible to fix. But hey, that might, I'm not being optimistic at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) And, anyways, another reparation claim is the Kenyan Mau Mau Reparations and Recognition Project. One of the key movements during Kenya's fight for independence was the Mau Mau movement, mainly of the Kikuyu people, the largest ethnic group in Kenya. Britain horrifically treated suspected Mau Mau warriors and supporters who battled for independence during 1952 to 1960. They lost their ancestral lands to Britain and it became the home of European farmers and ranchers. By 1948, one and a quarter million Kukuyus were restricted to about 5,200 kilometres, whilst 30,000 settlers occupied 30,000 square metres. So bear in mind this area is larger than Belgium which has a population of 11 million people. This period was labelled a state of emergency by the British colonial government. Caroline Elkin's book, Imperial Reckoning, brought this history to a wider audience, making it visible to the Western world. I mean, admittedly, it did take a white woman to write about this, people to actually believe what was going on, but... Yeah. um, I mean, she's just, just a vessel. She was a vessel. It frustrates me because you. I am sure that it has been written about by a lot. By a lot of people who, yeah. Yeah, but hey-ho. Yeah. Based on documentary evidence, the book included detail on British prisons and detention camps, murder, torture, mutilation, and men castrated. There were incidents of prisoners carrying excrement spitting over their faces. Prisoners died of malnutrition and disease. However, the British were assisted by loyalist Kenyans known as the Home Guard, and that's where things start to get a bit complicated. But with this, this is actually really similar to what happened in Namibia, no? Like, what is it with these European countries just doing up concentration camps on the African continent? Mm. In 2000, the Reparations and Recognition Projects petitioned the British Embassy in Kenya for 30 billion US dollars to Mau Mau members and families. By 2006, a case was repaired but the government rejected this, claiming that the Kenyan governor, not the British colonial officer, was responsible. Kenya's first post-independence president preferred propagating the myth of a unified Kenya, and the complication arises because of the Home Guard. In 2013, Britain paid £20 million to 5,000 elderly Kenyans who endured torture, beatings, castration, and sexual assaults during the Mau Mau uprising. But... This isn't really as much as it sounds. Yeah, because we were doing maths, guys. We were maths. We did a bit of maths. We did a bit of maths. And yeah, we worked out. So 20 million to 5,000 people, is that's £4,000 per person. That's not an apology, really. That's an insult, if I'm honest. It's honestly... How much should they pay the slave owners? Mm, Yeah, We 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 only finished it off in 2015. Yeah. Okay. Four grand. Let's not even talk about the way that this government also has money to do other things, but... Mm, yeah. 
So where did this idea of kind of reparations to Africa, this whole movement really stem from? So in the early 90s, a prominent Nigerian businessman, MKO Abiola, persuaded the Organization of African Unity, the OAU, which we do cover as a separate episode. Can't yes, remember, I can't remember which one. <laughs> which one? There's a lot. Done so um, many now. The precursor to the African Union to focus on getting reparations. The OAU agreed and they formed the group of eminent persons, the GEP, in 1992. The GEP was made up of 12 members with Abiola as its chair. A year following the GEP's introduction, the Pan-African Conference on Reparations was held in Nigeria. Moral debt and compensation through capital transfer and debt cancellation were the lines of discussion, along with the need for reparations in terms of returning stolen goods and artefacts. The GEP struggled to make much headway with their goal for reparations. There were varying opinions on how much financial reparations were needed. As we mentioned earlier, the Truth Commission believed 777 trillion, that is honestly difficult to say, dollars plus annual interest was owed. Also, I think there are different, we were looking at kind of the different numbers that have been banded around when it comes to, you know, financial reparations. Another amount was $100 trillion proposed by author Daniel Tete Osabukle, who interestingly, um, his proposed payment also includes Africans living in the diaspora. So yeah, there are so many different opinions on this. And to be honest, I don't think there is one single answer. I think it's just one of those things where you can't really put a number on the damage caused and it would perhaps be something like a regular payment in some form. Until the end of time. (laughs) (laughs) Plus interest. Yeah, it's... I think it's quite easy to get stuck on numbers and the value, but it's just so difficult to value the life of human beings and no, like, exploitative labour that I, I like to stay away from the whole, like, this is the value of it. Mm. But I do think there has to be a combination of both, like, saying yeah. to financial, but also a recognition perspective. A, a rehabilitation. A yeah, there is just basically everything. Yeah. Another key moment in Africa's push for reparations occurred in 2001 at the Durban Conference Against Racism, Racial Discrimination, Xenophobia and Related Intolerances. They were fixing it all out here. Everything. And this was held in Durban, South Africa in September 2001. The conference acknowledged and concluded that slaveholder nations, colonizers and occupying countries have unjustly enriched themselves at the expense of those people that they enslaved and colonised and whose land they have occupied. As these nations largely owe their political, economic and social domination to the exploitation of Africa, Africans and Africans in the diaspora, they should recognise their obligation to provide these victims just and equitable reparations. Yeah, and again, the situation is not really as black and white as they're making it sound, because there's definitely some great areas. Um, So an example is the president of Senegal at the time, recognising that he would also be required to pay reparations because his ancestors had owned enslaved people. Contentious, but is what it is. The Nigerian Nobel Prize winning uh, writer Wale Shuyinka also pointed out that reparations like charity should begin at home. And the wealth of the Mobutus, the Babangidas, 
that batches should be utilized as down payment. So again, is reparation a form of deflection on some of the challenges that African nations face? And should we also just be focused on actually getting the legacies of some of these corrupt leaders who have hidden money mm. to bring it back home? But then you could argue that they learned how to do that through their colonizers, not to absolve them. I'm going to say also, you are now arguing with yourself, which just shows the complexity <laughs> of, <laughs> of this. You know, it is so true. It's like, what is that how they were, or do you, is it as a result of what happened? Is it a combination yeah. of the two? But then, how do you even like? It is so. I feel like this topic leaves us with more. Well you and I but with more questions than actual there is no definitive answer that's how mm. I feel no absolutely also another complexity is that with this number how would we then split this because many of these nation states didn't actually exist prior to colonization yeah so then how do you and especially for within those communities whereby they don't identify as this new kind of nation that they've been brought together how you then yeah it's it's not an easy one, which is why we're not trying to solve it in no. the episode. <laughs> yeah, by no means is this <laughs> is this the solution. Even though some Western states objected to reparations, some acknowledged the damage done by enslavement. The Netherlands Minister for Urban Policy and Integration of Ethnic Minorities expressed deep remorse about enslavement and the slave trade. The British Minister for Africa said the British government and the European Union profoundly deplored the human suffering, both individual and collective, caused by slavery and the slave trade. And again, out of fear this might pave the way for reparation movements, countries like Britain won't use the language of apology. And the British government has refused to issue statements of apology and has only issued statements of regret. Mm-hmm. If Europe et al. took full responsibility, then this would be used by African states as a basis for compensation. So how do you apologise? by not focusing on guilt and including a recognition of past behaviour, acceptance of responsibility and commitment to pursuing justice and truth. Also, the victims have to believe that your apology is genuine. Yeah, and I do think with the whole apologising thing, an element that I feel is very much missing is the reasons why it's not done in a way and fully kind of expressed and you, you know, we have ideas of like deep remorse and we're never actually apologising. It's focused more on the legal consequences, but there's a lack of empathy in terms of really thinking about how does that really feel for that community? And some of the big, you know, the wars that Britain has gone through and the recognition that we do surrounding those wars and stuff, there is a recognition and it goes beyond a remorse. Do you see what I mean? Mm. For this, it's not just one event or one moment in time. Britain was a longstanding part of kind of enslavement and colonisation. That the failure to just say sorry just shows just a strong lack of empathy and just genuine sense of humanity. When you say they're scared of the ramifications, just highlight again because of this whole capitalist system. It's really around wanting to preserve their wealth and not wanting yeah. to to share it or distribute it. Um, and they're just more afraid of losing some money than actually, you know, understanding what has happened to these human beings mm-hmm. and why the continent is the way it is that lack of accountability honestly is just it's just mad disrespectful it's just no just be like there are but it makes sense as you said very much capitalism is at the heart of it oh definitely 
and Europe hasn't come to terms with its colonial past or the present neocolonial system. They might have conferences and exhibitions about their colonial history, but they do so without involving those directly affected in countries where the atrocities occurs. And these conferences are usually a case of reflection and not actually looking from the perspective of former colonies. A bit like a sort of Instagram swipe of like, oh, look what I'm doing, but not actually deep enough and understanding what it's like from the point of view of someone affected by it. A social issue yeah sorry I was just so the fact that you I was not sorry I was just hoping I wasn't I was looking I was like am I on mute <laughs> no no it's because I was taking in the fact that you just managed to bring in Instagram swipe as a no only because well. that just rises with the most ingenuine form no that is like, true it's, yeah it's like it's very surface level and that's kind of it's so what they're what doing this here. is no it's, yeah. all, it's very performative Yes, um, that's that's the word I was looking for. But Instagram was swipe. Look, my look, mind. <laughs> look at the two of us so in actual sync. <laughs> at least you understand where I'm coming from. <laughs> no, no, I I do see what you mean. No, it it is very much a purport, but to be honest, a lot of <laughs> what nations like Britain do ends up being a performance. But let me let me not get into that. Some of the coloniser heavyweights have attempted to escape liability for their colonial abuse through development grants. Aid is not a substitute for reparations. Can we say that again? Because it just needs to be highlighted again. (laughs) (laughs) Aid is not a substitute for reparations. There we go. This is because it lacks the recognition of wrongdoing, apologetic sentiment, and the ability to target injured communities specifically. Sometimes it ends up in the wrong people's hands. And, you know, we've definitely seen that and covered that in a lot of episodes. Not only that, but we also have an example from um, Bob Geldof of uh, Band-Aid Notoriety, maybe. Um, He ignored warnings from uh, MSF around the role of the corrupt Ethiopian government at the time. And actually what ended up happening was that much of the relief funds meant to go to the victims ended up being siphoned off to purchase arms from the Soviet Union, which worsened the whole situation. Yeah. Sometimes listen to people on the ground. That that would also be another thing to do. And also, according to a representative from the Commission of Human Rights and Fundamentals Freedoms of Niger, payment of the external debt has plundered Africa of the resources it needs to develop. After three centuries of slavery, and 70 years of colonialism, Africa doesn't have any debt left to pay because she's already paid too much. Yeah, honestly, I was doing an internal quote, but that definitely, no debts. What quote? So what's the best approach when it comes to reparations to Africa? Well, first and foremost, the relationship between the West and Africa needs to change. We need to move away from the lens of the colonizer and the colonized Mm -hmm. and establish a relationship characterized by equality and respect. I definitely agree. And it makes me think about the whole kind of immigration side of things in the UK perspective and what they've been trying to do, because Mm. it just shows, again, that relationship is always sort of even underneath everything. There is that continuous thread of colonizer and colonized and it's always how do you get that relationship which is very much where both you know an African nation and you know a country like Britain are seen on equal footing and treated equally um I think there's always just this power imbalance that always seems to exist 
There um, is. And it always, it seeps into like everything. Like even, I don't know if you've noticed, but some of the World Cup commentary has definitely spoken about African cup. Oh, let's not even. It is, it's so bad. Reparations is a key part to forming this new relationship. But what would that look like? For us, there's no one size fits all. As a combination of the different forms allow for repairs to occur in different forms, from psychological and cultural to economic repairs. And I think that is the main sort of takeaway. There is no one way that we can say, okay, reparations, that box is now closed. Yeah. And also it's looking at, and I know we covered it previously, around the future of African nations, especially when you look at the involvement of China as well and how Mm. that could potentially be, you know, in the future cause additional challenges. And so it's how do we... I think a key element of that is how do we really develop a relationship and establish a relationship which a completely acknowledges what happened, but also massively supports and just African nations yeah. and says we've got to resolve this because this isn't this is a problem created by us. Mm. And I don't know how do you feel about the whole COP twenty seven thing? Do you feel like discussions from an, reparations when it comes to kind of the environment may lead to yeah the loss of damage focus on that. yeah it's good that it's sort of been discussed at quite a high level it's just for some reason whenever western nations hear the word reparations it's like this reaction that like everyone just freezes and it's like oh no 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 you know and people will talk about it but they don't actually know what it means um yeah. but this is something that needs to be done to help to i mean we'll never balance the playing field right we'll never have the same playing field but how do we get people to move closer to an, e- an equal, more equal um, playing field and provide opportunities? We've covered, for example, um, within our oil episode, some of the uh, you know, really awful environmental damage that has taken place in, in Nigeria. You know, people are becoming ill because of the uh, oil exploration work um, happening there. But you know, are these people going to be, how do we compensate these people adequately we you know we have to build them you know proper housing maybe or you know ensure that they have you're in a safe environment they still have their wildlife around them etc so it does take a lot a lot of work and a lot of thought into it so it's not just a case of throwing the money away but it's really around adequately funding people so that they're I know we said that that last point was a really difficult one around um restitution and restoring a victim to their original situation but how do we do that how do we get to as close as that point as possible and and that's what we should be focusing on when we have the discussion around reparations no that's actually um an interesting point around we're never not never say never say never well I've said it now (laughs) but it's never going to be a point or in the short term or midterm whereby it's fully equal but as you mm. said, it's about how do we get even close? You know, you know, you always see that, um, gosh, maybe Instagram or on Facebook or whatever, that video where you have like the kids lined up. And oh, then, yes. Yeah, mix of like. Uh, step backwards if this. Yeah, 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 black and white kids. And then the black kids are kind of held back. But it's about how do we get, how do we make sure that we're, we're given a chance and that African nations are given a chance to just proceed. And that is the the root in it yeah no that is the key that is is the key no it's definitely some food some food for thought 
this was we are midway through season six thank you so much for hanging out with us for a couple of months um gosh I can't believe like halfway through season six this year has literally been such a whirlwind like yeah definitely need to sleep and come back again (laughs) all rejuvenated in January um but yeah it's been good it's been good any last things bits and pieces um so we have our book it's a continent which is available in most uh retailers you can also visit our website it's a continent.com our twitter at it's a continent and our instagram at it's a continent pod and if you have any suggestions that you think we should cover for our second half of season six just drop us a dm drop us an email contact us via our website we love receiving them and interacting with you all yeah honestly send them send them we love it it. we really do we do and if you would like to buy us a coffee as that is uh what the kids are doing now um then you can also buy us a coffee at it's a continent so yeah see you guys in the new year see you in the new year let's close out 2022 I was just going to say completed it. (laughs) Well, we haven't, but... um... Well, well, (laughs) (laughs) close, close to completing it. We will, we will eventually. more days to go, but no, thank you so much, guys, and we'll catch you in the new year. Bye. Bye.